allow me to share just a few brief words of scripture with you from Hebrews. Starting in chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue the goal of peace along with everyone, and holiness as well, because no one will see the Lord without it. Make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. Make sure that no root of bitterness grows up that might cause trouble and pollute many people. Keep loving each other like family. Don't neglect to open your homes to guests, because by doing this, some have been hosts to angels without knowing it. For the word of God in scripture, the word of God in spirit, and for the word of God among us, thanks be to God. Let's pray. The Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Amen. Well, as Kathy began to share, after uh, a little over a year ago, after 14 years of pastoral ministry in local churches, the only full-time job I had ever known in my life, I left the church that I had been serving for eight years, and I relocated here to attend school for a year. Uh, some people get a motorcycle as part of their midlife crisis. I decided to get another graduate degree, so that's how I landed in Boston. It's a great place to get a graduate degree. Uh, I arrived in Boston last August, about a year ago. It was only the second time I'd ever been in this area in my entire life, and I knew exactly one person in the area, and she lived in Cambridge, and she said it's the same as, she was from Pittsburgh, and she said it's the same as back in Pittsburgh, people don't cross rivers very easily, so I, I may not see you a whole lot. Uh, to add to this, my spouse Lisa and I had chosen to live apart for the year, and she came up and visited once or twice a month, and so all of this is to say that at 39 years old last August, I moved 500 miles away without my spouse to an unfamiliar place where I didn't know hardly anyone, began living on my own with no roommates aside from my cat for the first time in my life. Now, I am quite comfortable being on my own. I can go days on my own, but I was still lonely. And if you've ever been someone who's had to relocate to a new place, a new city or a region, especially one that you have few personal connections in before moving there, then you know that it can be difficult to form relationships, especially the older you get, the harder it becomes to form new relationships. And so when I got here, I did two things immediately, and it was strategic. First, I joined a running club because I like to run. I'm not good at it, but I like to do it. And so every Thursday, I got together with people around a shared interest. Every Thursday, after a year of going almost every week, uh, I, it has allowed me to make a few close friends in my uh, running group, but most of the people in that running group I would just call acquaintances, dozens of acquaintances, people that I, I've, I see every Thursday and hang out with and run with, and, and people I've actually you know, had dinner with and, and traveled to races to run together with and so on, but I wouldn't necessarily call them close friends, even though they've been a part of my life every week. The second thing I did was I started attending here at United Parish, and from the first Sunday, it's been the same kind of a place, such a warm and welcoming environment, the perfect place to enjoy worship from the pews for the first time as an adult and participate in the life of the church as a congregant instead of the pastor. 
And Kent and Amy have just been such wonderful pastors for me, as I'm sure you know they are for all of you. Uh, they've helped me through some vocational discernment throughout this year, which is just a, a fancy way of saying that I'm in the middle of figuring out what I'm going to be when I grow up. And many of you have been blessings as well. Many of you have shared coffee with me or had me over for dinner or engaged in deep conversation either here or elsewhere about life, about theology, about ethics, about social justice in many forms. Many of you have simply greeted me each Sunday with a cheerful smile and occasional small talk or seeking me out during the passing of the peace. And so in whatever way we've connected, I'm grateful for this church. It has played an outsized role in my life this past year as a short-term transplant, as it turns out, to this neighborhood. And I've been thinking a lot, wistfully, as I prepare to leave. I've been thinking wistfully about all of these relationships I've made over the last year where family and close friends await my return because, well, as they tell me, they have missed me. They've missed having me around back in Pittsburgh, and I have missed them. Uh, of course, I've missed living with my spouse every day, not just a few days a month, and, and, and I've missed being able to attend my niece's softball games uh, every week, and I've missed being able to meet my parents for dinner, and I've missed chatting with old friends deep into the night over drinks at their home. You know those kinds of friends that you can talk with and be yourself with because they, um, you have that freedom to be yourself because they know you in the way, it, maybe sometimes better than you know yourself. They've seen you at your worst and your best. I've missed those friends. What I've realized, though, after, uh, after being here for this year is that I also miss the acquaintances back home. I missed the regulars at my friend's brewery that I never saw outside of the brewery but saw them frequently and I've come to know them as acquaintances. I've missed those people that I sort of know in my town back home, my neighborhood, people I run into at the town festivals, people I run into at the popular sandwich shop. I, I, they're not my friends, but maybe they're friends of friends, or, or we you know, served on a board together at one point or, or did something together, and so we're acquaintances. Uh, I, I miss Lou. Lou is the usher at the ballpark that we used to have season tickets at for so many years, and he would always love telling us what his kids were up to or how his bad knee was holding up after years of going up and down stadium stairs. At the same time, these loose connections and acquaintances I've had here in Brookline, including here at United Parish, have made it easier for this to be home for me. It's been not only the close friendships I've made over this past year, but also these casual relationships that have made this feel like my neighborhood, too. Even if it's only been for a year, it's been a blessing to have those connections. And so as I've been thinking about this, I've been thinking about how when, our, when we think about our social lives and what facilitates social well-being, the, the first thing we typically go to is people close to us, family and close friends and romantic partners if we have them. And, and, and what I've come to realize, though, is that these looser connections are equally, if not more, important. It's a, it's a connection that is called often weak ties, which is a term coined by Stanford sociologist Mark Granovetter in the 1970s. He said that weak ties are kind of like our casual acquaintances, the people that we see infrequently, but we see them near strangers with whom we share some familiarity, and I would say we share our neighborhood even if we don't share friendship. Think about the people in our church, 
or maybe a weekly running club, but think about the people who just happen to always ride the train at the same time as you into work, and maybe you, you know them, and you've chatted a couple of times, and maybe you know their names, but you don't know a whole lot more, but there's familiarity there. Or, or the, the barista at the corner coffee shop that you go to every Thursday afternoon to do some work. Other parents at our kids' schools, coworkers, all of these people can be weak ties. You might not consider all of your weak ties friends, at least in the common sense of the word, but they're often people with whom you're friendly, says Amanda Mall, a writer for The Atlantic. Now, most of us are familiar with the idea of inner circles, close friendships, familial relationships, romantic partners, but Granovetter suggests that equally vital to social well-being is that outer circle, the weak ties, the loose connections, the casual relationships. Needless to say, the pandemic all but removed us from those outer circles. We had to stop entering physical stores or restaurants. We were worshiping online for years. We stayed far away from crowds at sports and entertainment venues, and so everything became virtual, and we retreated into our inner circle, which we called our COVID crew and suddenly weak ties ceased to exist for a while. Now we're coming back to the pre-pandemic levels of that kind of socialization in our neighborhoods, but even that has been in decline since the middle of the 20th century, way back in the year 2000, if you can remember it. Robert Putnam's book, Bowling Alone, drew on extensive research that he had done to show that we, that we have less, uh, have fewer weak ties in civic life uh, we sign fewer petitions, and we belong to fewer civic organizations, including churches, and we know our neighbors less than we used to. The psychological effects of losing all but our closest ties can be profound, says Maul. Peripheral connections tether us to the world at large, she says. Without them, people sink into the compounding sameness of closed networks, Regular interaction with people outside our inner circle just makes us feel like more a part of the community or part of something bigger. People on the peripheries of our lives introduce us to new ideas, new information, new opportunities, and other new people. And if variety is the spice of life, these relationships are the conduit for it. I promised I would talk about Mr. Rogers, so here we go. For people of a certain age, including me, a child of the 1980s, and Reverend Carrington Moore, who we heard from last week, one of the most influential figures of our childhood was Mr. Rogers. And, and as Kathy said, it was especially true for me since you know, I was essentially growing up in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood in the Pittsburgh area. Today, 20 years after his death, he remains a saint of our city, one of the most cherished citizens in our history. And if you're not aware, he was actually Reverend Rogers. He was an ordained Presbyterian minister who attended Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, which is where I currently work, which is why I've started to know all these wonderful background stories about him as well. And there are a lot of things you can say, way more than I could uh, have time to, to do today about the neighborhood, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood as a program and the theological lessons that he subtly imparted on his popular children's program. But to follow up on what, what Carrington was talking about last week, one of the obvious elements of the show was hospitality. For more than 30 years, he opened us up, Mr. Rogers did, to the reality of a beloved neighborhood and a diverse neighborhood. 
It was his neighborhood, but it featured people of different professions and different ages, different genders and abilities, all of whom were not only welcome, but celebrated exactly as they are. Celebrated for what made them special. And if you ever watched that show, you know he visited people who made crayons and pretzels and people who lived in underground homes, one of my favorite episodes. His curious approach to the world and the people that we share it with taught us that we can all learn something from each other. It might be a skill, it might be an experience, it might be an emotion or a feeling. He was radical for his time in race relations, not only by featuring people of many racial and ethnic backgrounds as neighbors, but also uh, famously soaking his feet in a pool of water with Officer Clemens at a time when people were violently protesting integration of public swimming pools. And then in the 90s, when hip-hop music and dancing was labeled by some as a dangerous urban problem and by others as an unchristian and immoral form of music, how did Mr. Rogers respond? He invited an African-American child on his show to show off the breakdancing skills that this child had. And then he asked the child, will you teach me how to pop and lock? Will you teach me how to moonwalk? And, and you saw on the show this uh, grandfatherly white Presbyterian minister trying his hardest to pop and lock. It, was, it warms your heart. Go, you, you, can, you can watch it on YouTube. The neighborhood welcomed guests who were children with physical disabilities as well, and he celebrated them exactly as they were. Part of what was so great about that was that when he was welcoming children with disabilities, he wasn't doing it with, with pity or by trying to fix or heal them, but to see their full human worth and dignity inclusive of their disability. Likewise, in a way that was radical for his time, he eschewed gender roles and norms, and he helped children understand socioeconomic differences as, as a, a tragic reality of life, not as a character flaw, as many politicians of his era would have had us believe. The beauty was that everyone on that show, everyone on that show was different. And yet everyone on that show, from the mail carrier and the school teacher, to the musicians and factory workers and bakers, to children of different backgrounds, children with disabilities, children who break dance to hip-hop hip -hop music, was valued exactly as they are. They were a vital part of the neighborhood. Now, Mr. Rogers said that it was rooted, this was all rooted in his faith, and this was intentional. He said once, Christianity to me is a matter of being accepted as we are. Jesus certainly wasn't concerned about people's stations in life or what they looked like or whether they were perfect in behavior or feeling. How often, he said, in the New Testament, we read of Jesus' empathy for those people who felt their own lives to be imperfect. And the marvelous surprise and joy when they sensed his great acceptance. For Rogers, being neighborly was not politely waving to one another from across a picket fence or just when passing on the sidewalk. For Mr. Rogers, neighbors are people who live among each other and may not be close friends, but are people who care for one another. People who listen with curiosity rather than judgment. People who appreciate the other as they are. Neighbors are, as the author of Hebrews says, the people who show hospitality to strangers 
and the people who are shown hospitality by strangers. Neighbors are people who seek peace with others, who act from a posture of grace and love, and who believe that, that, that God's grace needs to be available to everyone. In other words, neighbors are not always the people we know best or most closely. Most of the time, in fact, our neighbors are that outer circle. But let us not forget how much that outer circle enriches our lives and how much we enrich others' lives by being a part of their outer circle, by fostering individual and collective social well-being in our neighborhoods. Neighbors expand our horizons. Neighbors cause us to think differently. They keep us connected and, and stave off social isolation. They help us to recognize the humanity in each of us and that a diverse community is a healthy community which is why I really don't like the term weak ties, because actually these ties make us stronger. There's nothing weak about having connectional or casual connections with people you only know a little bit. In fact, these are the ones that gave me the strength to make it through this year, especially, but not exclusively, casual connections with classmates at school, with my run club, with people here at United Parish, with people at the places that I frequented, the coffee shops that I spent lots and lots of time reading in. And so rather than weak ties, I prefer that term that Mr. Rogers used, neighbor. Neighbors, the people we share our community with, quite literally. People we know as, as those who deliver our mail and teach our children and, and show us olds how to pop and lock people who worship with us on Sundays and go running with us on Thursdays and ride the train with us into work or school most mornings. These are our neighbors. You have been my neighbors. I came here a year ago seeking connection, and by showing up, I essentially was asking you all, won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? I'm, I'm new. I'm a new neighbor. Will you be mine? Could you be mine? And you responded with love and acceptance and hospitality. It was a resounding yes in word and, more importantly, in deed. For me, it made every day beautiful in this neighborhood and reminded me how each day we have an opportunity to make the day beautiful in the neighborhood for our neighbors as well. So thank you for this year, and may we always be neighbors to each other. But more importantly, may we always be neighbors to all with whom we share this world. So be it. Amen.